0: Hello there, you are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We've got a few minutes this morning um, to come around the Word. I pray that you, I pray that you listen. How many know that's not just a throwaway term? I don't mean just like hear me, I pray you listen. I pray that your ears are open, I pray your heart is open. I pray your Eyes, your spiritual eyes would be open. It says in Ephesians, Paul prays and he says that your eyes, your cells will be flooded with light. Uh, I love that prayer that he's praying for the church in Ephesus. That's, I pray that's our prayer too this morning. Um, you'd listen, you'd hear what God has to say. Because it's not me, is it? Hopefully it's never the preacher that's just saying something, but it's actually him, that it's his word. Um, so let's pray in that vein. Father, I pray that you would, you'd speak to us, you'd do something. Lord, in our hearts this morning as we come around your word, as we do what many have done for a long time and listen to you, hear your word, and Lord, I pray it would sink deep. Lord, it would find good soil, that it would grow, that it would mature. Father, I pray you'd you'd do what only you can this morning, I pray in Jesus' name amen and amen. I'm going to be reading from my Bible this morning, but there's a giant Bible on the screen behind me. So if you're struggling to find the passage or where we're heading, it will come up on the screen. So we'll, we'll get there together, okay? We're going to turn, though, to the book of Leviticus. Everyone say Leviticus. Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the Torah. Dropping some big words here this morning. Doesn't matter. We're in chapter 23. Okay. You don't often hear the rustle of pages anymore. Hear the, the quiet swipe on everyone's phones. You okay this morning? Yeah. Is this all right? Oh, yeah. It's good so far, Ren. <laughs> <laughs> You've not said a word. It's great. It's I won't ask that question then. Here it is Leviticus 23. Verse 42, it says, For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. Verse 43, This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I, the Lord, made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Leviticus Famously full of lots of instruction, rules, laws, regulations. Leviticus here, this is the Lord describing to the people of Israel all the different things they have to do uh, to be uh, a God-pleasing people. One of those things is a number of festivals they have to keep. Are you with me so far? Lots of festivals throughout the year. You might have heard of the the harvest festival. Maybe you've heard of uh, the uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Feast of Trumpets. There's a whole bunch of different festivals. Go and read them. They're all in Leviticus. But this one is called the Festival of Shelters. It's Jewish name, which they still celebrate today. They call it Sukkoth or Sukkot or Sukkah. Lots of different ways to pronounce it, but that's, how you, that's the word, Sukkot. They basically had to dis, uh, go outside and build a specific shelter, a specific type of shelter that had specific rules around what you had to do with it. You with me so far? So this shelter wasn't supposed to be impressive. This shelter was supposed to be a little bit rickety, a little bit, a little bit special, like as if you really kind of rushed through it. Like it doesn't—it wasn't supposed to last forever. It was a temporary shelter. I think I've got a picture of it, Leanne. Here we go. I'll move out of the way a little bit. This is a modern one. This is not a historical picture of the children of Israel. Um, <laughs> this is a modern shelter. It's very good quality. Um, you can see it's, it's relatively temporary. Like you, you haven't got much going on in the walls. They had rules over the, the roof had to provide more shade than light, but you still had to be able to see through to see the stars. If you're listening, that's a cool throwback to Abraham and see the stars. They had to always see the promise. Anyway, moving forward, they had to be able to stand up. They had to be able to move around. They had to be able to eat. There were specific rules, but the basics of this was that it wasn't supposed to be Impressive. It was supposed to be a little bit, a little bit, how do you do? Because what God's trying to do in this moment is remind the people of Israel, for all of the generations, bear in mind at this point, they're not in the promised land yet. But God is looking forward to a time when they'd be in homes, they'd be in houses, they'd be in kingdoms, they'd be in places where they might well get to a point where they forget what God's done for them. Potentially, they might think, hey, this is pretty good. I don't really remember, especially generationally. This is God saying to them, don't you forget, I made you live in shelters when I rescued you. I made you live outside when I brought you through into the promised land, in that wilderness period. Don't forget who I am for you. Don't forget that in your wondrous time right now in your great life, there was a time when things weren't so great. But I rescued you but I brought you outside and, and I remember what it was like living outside. It's this, this draw, this, this, this cycle that they go through to remember. And I kind of like this because I know about you, we're a camping family. I should put that in context. We were a camping family. We were a camping family for a long time. Our children. Is there anyone else who's a camping family in, in the room? I know there's more. It's alright. There's no there's no shame here. Put up your hand. <laughs> Mill's like mm, kind of. Um, if if, if you give me a show. Who's a camping family? Who's go, p- camping people in the room? There's plenty of us. Yes, the camping people. If, who's, who's an Airbnb kind of person? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Far more enthusiastic about that. Mm, clean linen. Someone to clean up after you when you leave. Like, so there's camping people and there's non-camping people. The non-camping people don't know what it's like. They don't know what it's like. Here's some rules for camping. Are you ready? It will always rain. Always rain. You will never stop fiddling with your setup the entire time. Never. You will always be fiddling with your setup. Is that peg all the way in? Is that rope tight enough? Maybe I'll just move that over there so it's out of the wind, out of the rain. You will, someone else will have a better setup than you 100% of the time. Somebody will have a Even if you think you've got the best setup, not true. Somebody else will have a way better setup than you. Oh, wow, look at that. Babe, did you see that? Oh, look, they're just pulling in now. And then you sit and you, you sit with a drink and watch them as they pull up. And sat there thinking, okay, <laughs> you will forget something like that time we forgot our pillows. Oh. That was embarrassing. The children had pillows; we did not. That was not an enjoyable experience. Every bird in the local area will sing outside your tent every morning. <laughs> well, the Airbnb people are like birds. Um, there will be ants. Am I right? Ants. A strange noise will wake you up in the middle of the night. You will leave your toothbrush at the toilet block. These are the rules, just in case you didn't know. You will not have the right amount of tent pegs. You won't. You won't have the right amount of tent pegs. As, as, as many as you packed, you won't have the... Maybe, maybe I'm just in therapy right now for my, camping. <laughs> for my camping. Rules for camping, just like they had rules here. But the big rule was you don't forget the, Israel, the Israelites were not to forget their time in the, in the wilderness, the journey of how God had brought them through. That was one of the rules. That in our weakness or in their weakness, in their, in their flimsy and their temporary and their fragile and their frailty, they weren't to forget that in that weakness, we need him. It was a place for them to remember his goodness to them, for who he is, for the weak and for the broken, for the people like Israelite, like the Israelites, the people that were on the run, the people who were circling in the desert, who didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. Was that manna gonna, is that manna going to last? Are we going to make it to this amazing promised land? The questions, the doubt, the, 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 the problems that they faced in the wilderness. This was set up to remind them for every generation that even though all that was happening, God still brought them through. To bring what you could, bring what you had and remember him. Flick with me if you can to the book of Psalms because this is, this is what David's doing here as well in the book of Psalms. Chapter 77, it says this in verse 11. It says, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are what? Constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. It's so what God's trying to do here. He's saying, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget what I did for you when you, were, when you were low, when you were weak, when you were run out, when things weren't going your way, when you felt like you were abandoned. I brought you through. In your weakness, he is strong. Remembering him and his good works in our lives and in circumstances. Incidentally, one more chapter in uh, Psalms chapter 8. Sorry, in chapter 78. I read this at the pre-service gathering this morning. It says this in verse 4. This is how much God values this this telling of these stories. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. Leanne doesn't have the scripture, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's in verse 4 of chapter 78. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, And his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He has given his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And in turn, they will each teach their children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. You see what God's trying to set up here that through the generations, you don't forget. You don't miss out. You don't skip over. You have to remember his goodness. You remember the things that he's done. In a way, you rehearse his glory every day. You look back. I love what Andrew was saying this morning. You look back over a year and you, you become a grateful person. There's this sense of gratitude about what God has done just this year. But perhaps there's, perhaps there's more to remember. We've all been alive for a little bit longer than one year. Perhaps there's more things to remember than just that this sense of testimony that we have about what God has done and what he's achieved and accomplished in our lives. we Leah and I sat here last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't last week. It was the week before. Leah and I sat here and, uh, and Dan asked us a few questions. Some of you were here and we kind of gave a few headlines, didn't we, about what God did in the last little bit, how good he's been, how kind he's been, what he's set up for us, what he, all these amazing things. And I, I guarantee you someone was sat in the room going, wow. Well, Good for them. I can tell you, though, those were the headlines. Those were the high points. Those were the things that God did that we can recall and say, wasn't he amazing? But I can tell you at the same time, there's an equal amount of challenge, an equal amount of struggle, of, of dark places, perhaps, even. But there's this sense, perhaps, that we need to keep reminding ourselves of what he's actually done through the years, the reality of that faith journey being played out over decades. The move here was one, but we already did a move when we moved to Newcastle Uh, in 2014. We did almost the same thing. We just obeyed God, did what he said. We left with no job, in personal debt by tens of thousands of dollars, but we followed what God had told us. We moved there without any future. We didn't know why. We didn't know what was going to happen, but God called us, so we did it. How I was out of work for nine of the first 12 weeks when we moved to Newcastle, but we held on, and I remember sitting and thinking, what have I done? I've led my family to another part of the country, three children, in debt, no job. Knowing only that God had called us to it, there's a highlight on the other side of that because I can look back 10 years, nine years later and say, isn't God good? But there's still a moment when I'm sat next to Lake Macquarie, skipping stones across a rainy day, wondering, will God come through? Will he? I wonder if he's actually going to do what I think he is capable of. Because I'm sat there wondering... I don't have any job. I'm skimming out of savings here. We've moved all this way and I don't have any money. The time I had a bad back when I was working outdoors in landscaping, I don't look like it now, but I used to work outside in landscaping, but I had such a bad back that I couldn't work. I was struggling to get to work, let alone use the equipment that came off the back of the ute. I remember praying and wondering, would I go into physios, go into acupuncture? Actually, no, it wasn't acupuncture. Chiropractory, basically the same. I got a back cracked... I got all sorts of things going on. Didn't know whether I was going to even be able to continue in that line of work. Ever been in these kind of situations when you wonder if God can do something? Wondering if he he might come through because at the moment, God, I don't even know whether I can pick the lawnmower up. I don't even know whether I can shovel that mulch. I don't even know whether I can get to work in the car because it was so painful. But then, of course, the highlight on the other side. That as I'm praying, as I'm worshipping one day, not even asking for healing, as I'm praying in the ute on the way to a job, I get out of the ute like a sprightly 10-year-old and I jump out and I grab the mower and I stick it on the ground. I'm halfway through mowing and I think, I, I can move again. God healed me in one instant as I was worshipping on the way to a job. It wasn't even in a prayer meeting. It wasn't at some amazing worship event. It was me worshipping in the car on the way to a job. Suddenly God moves, but can I tell you how hard it was before that happened? (laughs) How sore I was and how difficult it was to know I couldn't provide? What about my mum who was diagnosed with a life-threatening autoimmune disease? Way back in 2007, she was given six months to live. They said, even if you do survive, you will not have a quality of life worth living. You will be trapped inside. Everything's going to try and kill you because your body, as soon as it gets sick, fights itself. It wants to. Your body wants to kill you. And she was told that she'd have to stay inside and the plate of pills that she had to consume every day was a mountain of pills. And I remember we went home that year, having left Sydney, we went home to see if my mum would survive that year. My mum's still alive. She's no longer got any blood work wrong with her. I got a message from her this week, didn't we? And she said, praise God, my blood levels are back to normal. Has it been a clean uh, sail all the way through? No! Was she still on pills for a long time? Yes. Is she off those pills now? Yes. God does good things. God does good things. What about miracles in finance? We got, a, we, got we were scammed, not out of a very lot of money. It was about $1,500. I got scammed out of $1,500, much to my chagrin. Some police scammed. Weeks before we were due to move into a house and pay all the legal fees. Somebody knocked on our door who said, I want to be your solicitor for this. Uh, for the transaction. What do they call it? A conveyancer. And we didn't know this guy particularly well. He knocked on the door and said, hey, look, I I, I go to church, but you don't know me. I want to be your conveyancer. The Lord's told me that I'm to give you the conveyancing fees for free. And it was the exact, to the cent, the exact amount that we'd been scammed for that he would have charged us. And he said, I want to pay that for you so you can do this conveyancing for free sat weeks away from buying our first home, having been scanned out of what felt like a lot of money to people who'd scratched every penny to get into our first house. What about when I was eight and a quad bike fell on my head after I said, I've got this. I know how to ride a quad bike at eight years old. Up I go the tire ramp and down it comes on my head, just a two millimeters away from crushing my eye and potentially killing me. You can't see the scar very well, but I was eight years old. I was eight and I could have Die. these stories they're not just I mean they're my stories but I know in every row in every part of this room people have got a testimony don't they of what God does am I am I getting through to you this morning what about car crashes what about times when you should have been somewhere and couldn't get there and you didn't know why but then you found out something happened how about those times when you've been in the car I know this happened to us we were coming back from the airport someone cut us in a bridge in a tunnel in Sydney one of the, it wasn't the bridge tunnel, it was another tunnel in Sydney. A, hu- a car cut across us and we crushed into the side of the tunnel wall. And a, like a proper juggernaut with three carriages of truck behind him missed the back of our car literally by inches. The other miracle was... Somebody pulled up behind us who worked for the RTA, the the traffic control people, and he had cones in the back of his car that he put out on the road, and he had a vest, and he was like, stay there, stay in the car, and he ran out and he put all the cones out so every car wouldn't hit us as we were trapped on the side of the tunnel. These are my stories, but you've, you've got them too, don't you? When God's come through, when God's done something incredible, time after time after time, he's faithful. I know there's marriages in this room that have been restored, where people's bodies have been healed. Are you with me? Brokenness have been made for. People have had financial breakthrough. You know you're sat in a miracle. You're sat on a seat in a building that shouldn't have existed without God. When it looked like it couldn't have happened, God came through. Are you, are you with me this morning? God does incredible things. We could go on all morning. I won't. So why don't we just do this festival? Why don't we still keep the festival of shelters every year? Why don't we just do that all the time? Why don't we just set a weekend aside? And in a way, maybe we do. We do Thanksgiving offerings and we have times to remember things. So why don't we do this every year? Why don't we just set it up in the calendar and say, hey, let's celebrate Sukkot. I'm butchering it if you know Hebrew, sorry. But Paul the Apostle addresses this in the New Testament. In the light of the new covenant, this is, what, this is what Paul says in the second book of Corinthians and verse, sorry, in chapter twelve. It's going to be on the screen. I want to read to you. I want to read it to you from the screen because it's in the Amplified. So it's going to take a while. So here we go. Everyone knows the Amplified. It says this because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. For this reason, to keep me thinking of myself as important, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment and harass me, to keep me from exalting myself. Next one. Verse 8. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me, but he has said to me, are you listening? My grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough. Always available regardless of the situation for My, that's God's power, is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. It's a well-known passage of scripture. If you know the word, his strength made perfect in our weakness. It's a famous scripture, but perhaps we just need to hear it one more time. That when we're weak, we are strong. Another translation says that his strength finds its perfect match in our weakness. It's shown to be most effective. Paul takes it a little bit further though. He's not just tolerating weakness. He's not tolerating just getting by. He's not just scratching along until such a time as things get better. Oh, one day maybe it'll be better. He's not just tolerating it. Paul actually then says he boasts about his weaknesses. He makes a big deal out of them. He lets other people know about these weaknesses. In the New King James Version in verse 9, it says, the power of God may rest upon. I don't know if we've got that scripture there. It says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. May rest this is important. That term, that phrase in the Greek, you're going to get some Greek this morning, is this word, and it's epix, canoe." It's coming. canoe. That's the Greek word there for that term may rest. Are you with me so far? Bit of Greek learning this morning. That word, epixkanu, that word means to fix a tent or have habitation on or be enveloped in. Some of you are already there. His power is like a tent or a tabernacle in the midst of your weakness. You see what? They're looping right the way back to the start of Leviticus, where he's saying, go outside and make a tent, make a habitation to remind you of your weakness. Here's Paul saying that in your weakness, his strength makes a tent. It sets itself up in the midst of your weakness, that in the middle of all that lack And all the stuff that you can't get right and the weakness that you feel like is just a a symptom of your humanity. That is what God wants the most. That he's saying in the middle of that weakness, just like he commanded the Israelites to be reminded of, of all the good things that God does and how he's brought you through and how incredible he is and not you. About how it's not about you, it's about him. This is what Paul's saying, that in the middle, that's why he boasts, in the middle of that weakness, his strength is perfected that in the middle of that he will bring us through again verse 10 in the amplified if we've got that it says this so i'm well pleased with it with weakness (laughs) paul's boasting about it i'm well pleased with weaknesses and then he lists all the things that he's pumped about that he's got in his life he says with insults with distresses with persecutions and with difficulties let me read you to them again, because this is uplifting stuff, with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and with difficulties. Anybody had a difficulty before? Oh no, I don't know what you're talking about, Graham. Maybe you're not human. Maybe you're not human. Uh, have you had distresses? Maybe you've been persecuted. Maybe you've been insulted." Here's Paul saying, "In all of those things, I boast." Do you know why? Because he says, when I am weak, when I'm in those moments, what does it say? For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. When it doesn't work out. When others disappoint you. When times are tough, when you don't know if you can pay that bill this week when you don't know if you can put fuel in the car, when your partner is working against you, when relationships are sabotaging you, when your kids are away from him. Can you see what God's doing? In the weakest of your time, in the weakest of your moments, that's when God says that he's strong. Dan's been preaching recently, hasn't he, about healing from hurt, especially hurt from what we're in right now, a church from leaders, from other people, from places and times when you've been hurt or disappointed and you can feel that root, that bitter root growing and it it doesn't make any sense to you but it's kind of closing in a little bit that they don't care, this will go wrong again, they're out for something, they're all the same and I say they and I don't mean the preacher, (laughs) I mean people in church, the system, the, 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 the institution and it's hard to believe that it would be okay again. My encouragement for you this morning is in that weakness, that's where God comes through in strength. The trick is to keep believing, to believe again, to pick yourself up again, like like in a way the Israelites just had to keep believing that God was on their side. Get back up. Trust him again. Release things back to him again. Surrender again. Again. This is what Paul's driving home. This is what he's trying to, trying to achieve in this letter and in this, this, whole, this whole theme is to celebrate and remember him, but not just once a year, not just annually once in a festival, not just leaving it for that one time when we get together and do that thing. Instead of it being just an annual once in a while, it becomes a constant reminder of who he is, his will at work in us, Despite us, despite our weakness, there's daily opportunity to celebrate his work in our lives because every time we're confronted with our own lack, every time we're confronted with our own weakness, every time we don't feel like we can do it, every time, excuse me, that we don't know if we can make it through, that's precisely when God works at his most potent. If you don't feel like you can do something, good. Good. Only God can do it you feel like you can't face this week, this year, what what relationships you've got, the financial pressures, if you don't feel like you can do that, good. (laughs) Hopefully you're arrested this morning. It's not supposed to be about you. It's about His strength at work in you. Paul's been through a lot. In that particular passage, he's talking about all the things that have gone wrong shipwrecks and beatings and persecution and problems and betrayals he's gone through everything but he's saying in that though I still boast in them because it's an opportunity for him to come through for God to do his best at your worst but here's the, here's the hinge here's the pivot in the whole thing there's a big but there's a big if Will we let him in? Will you let him in to do it? Because you, you, you can know that about God, but until you're willing to surrender and receive that from him, perhaps things will continue to circle like the children in the wilderness. Because there's a moment, isn't there, where you have to say, I need you. <laughs> perhaps we've been too proud to let him in, to acknowledge our need, to let him lead us through. Too proud maybe to let go to just let him do what he needs to i was on the on the lake actually flynn was a lot younger we were on lake macquarie this is in newcastle i'm coming to an end. and flynn, we we'd never done it before i had done it before but flynn had never been on one of those inflatable sea biscuits are you with me so far those little inflatable things that have a rope on the back that you put behind a boat and the boat goes travelling and you get dragged along behind it. Anyone who's been on one of those? Yes, I man named Mel, okay. Daredevil <laughs> over here. I love that, yeah. Thrown off many times, right? <laughs> I'd been on a biscuit many times. My five-year-old, probably a bit young, but I thought, hey, you know, let's take this forward. He's the firstborn. He can do this. We're on the, we're on the biscuit. And I'm sat down in the biscuit and he's sat on my lap. Are you with me so far? And on either side of the little inflatable biscuit are two handles. And I'm sort of holding on to the tub itself, the biscuit, and he's got a hold of the two handles on top of me. And the boat starts to speed up and things are going okay and we're like bobbing along. And then someone says, we're going to go faster! And I was like, sure, we can do this. And Flynn, you could feel him tense up because he's only five, bless him, and he's never done this before. And you could feel him tense up and as I'm sat there I can kind of tell that he's like holding you look at his knuckles and they're white like white knuckle on the end on this biscuit and as we're bouncing along I say to him hey hey Flynn just loosen up a bit because if we get tipped off we just we'll need to let go I don't know if he heard me or not but as we got faster and faster the waves kind of get bigger and bigger and he's tensing more and more and he's holding on and then of course it happens we do a flip like you hit the wave and we go over but Flynn just doesn't let go so I'm trapped underneath Flynn in the water and he's in the water too because he's holding on to the biscuit he won't let go it's like his muscles have just spasmed and he won't let go and we're like under the water the biscuit's being dragged and then stops and we're floating I remember stopped in the water shouting underwater ball, boy! Don't let go! I'm trying to wrench his little five year old hands off this biscuit because he wouldn't let go it's a silly story But I hope it it portrays a a little bit. Sometimes things get tough, don't they? Like, are these waves going to throw me off? I'm not sure. I've never done this before. I'm not sure I can manage this. Does Dad even know that I can swim or not? I'm not sure. There's this moment, and all you had to do to carry on was let go. All he had to do was let go of the biscuit. We would have floated around, jumped back on, and carried on. It's a really simple illustration about father's cruelty to his son. No, it's not true. <laughs> just, just do it. But had he let go, had he just let go of the biscuit, it would have been fine. And I wonder how many times have we done that in our life? Where God's clearly saying scripture, circumstance, a word from a preacher on a Sunday morning telling you to let go. Just let him do it. Don't hold on, don't insist that you've got this, I've got this, I'll be fine. Don't need you, God. I'm good. I've never needed anyone. I don't need you. And God's just saying, let go. Just let go. Famous scripture in James chapter 4, verse 6. and It says this. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a sense of humility in coming to him, isn't there? and saying, I can't do this. That's the humility that he desires. The pride and the arrogance that says, I don't need him. That you don't need to pray those prayers. That he uh, he won't bother. He's not coming through. He never has. It's the opposite of what he's trying to say, is not it? Remember how good I've been. And come humbly and say, I need you all the more. I need you all the more. I surrender it again. Because he works in our humility. He works in our surrender. And he works... In our submission, when we admit and confess our need of Him. I want to take you to one last verse. It's in Mark chapter four. And I hope this wraps things up. We're gonna finish. We're gonna finish here. It's in Mark chapter four. If you know the scripture, great. If you don't, it's a famous passage about Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is in a particular part uh, of the land of Israel there. And he wants to go across the lake. And he says to the disciples, Let, let's go to the other side. And they all hop in a boat. And they see their journey across the Sea of Galilee to the next mission, the next assignment, the next thing that Jesus has got to do. So Jesus says to all of the disciples, hop in the boat, let's go. And they, they all hop in the boat. They make their way across the Sea of Galilee, and Scripture is really clear that at that moment in the in that crossing, there there was a really big storm. And if you know a little bit about Bible history, that particular part of the Sea of Galilee had storms happen to it all the time. There was a specific rocky outcrop at the southern end. Of the Sea of Galilee, where the wind would whip through and it would throw this lake up into a a tempest. But it would happen quite often. It would happen really fast. You didn't know. It was quite changeable. We've got to remember, though, is in that boat, there were tax collectors and other people that maybe weren't used to this particular type of travel. (laughs) But they were also fishermen. Are you with me? Peter was a fisherman, James was a fisherman. That there's others in there, they were all they all knew they all knew this lake really well. But it says in this particular scripture that the winds got so intense that the boats started to started to to sink. They were taking on water. Things were not looking good for these disciples. And you can imagine a tax collector. Turning to one another saying, is again a little bit hectic out here? Like these waves, these wind, like it's getting a bit crazy, right? You can imagine a tax collector who isn't a fisherman saying that to another disciple. Are you with me? That would be me. You'd be like, hey, is this cool? Like, are we okay here? The wind's getting a bit hectic, the waves are getting bigger. And you can imagine, can't you, a fisherman turning to the tax collector saying, please, i do this for a living. This isn't a big deal. This isn't a big storm. This isn't much. I've been through worse. Haven't we? We've been through worse. We've been through worse. This is fine. I'm filling in some blanks here because then as it gets further along, it says that eventually things got so bad that they turned to Jesus, who is what? Asleep in the stern of the boat with his head on a pillow. Jesus has been silent this entire time. So these disciples have been tracking around inside the boat, looking at ropes and pushing things around and setting things up and trimming the sails and making sure there's no water getting in where it shouldn't be. And they've been talking to each other about, well, maybe this is getting pretty bad, but I reckon we'll be okay. We only need to get to the other side. It's going to be okay. Actually, this is really bad. I wonder if we're going to survive. And they eventually turn to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, do you not even care that we're drowning? Do you not even, are you not even fussed that this might all end here tonight? Do you even care? And Jesus, it says that he woke. It doesn't say he even shouted, which I love the most. It just says that he spoke to the winds and the waves and said, silence and be still. I wonder if he just said it that quietly, just to prove a point. I know the dramas make it seem like he's hung, hung on the edge of the ropes and he's like, wind and wave. Like, what if he just said, just be still? And it says that, obviously, it was calm immediately and the disciples like marveled and said Jesus this is ama- even the wind and the waves obey you and the statement Jesus makes to them is how do you still not have the faith it wasn't you don't have any faith it was how do you still not realize who i am he just fed a lot of people he'd just done a lot of stuff in that in that gospel in mark he's starting a whole new ministry saying how do you still not get this but my challenge for you, my, my encouragement for you is why didn't they just ask Jesus straight away? It's because I yeah, I wonder if the fisherman in the boat said, "Now we've got this. We'll be right. I can do this. I've been in a storm before. I can be in another storm again. But here's Jesus asleep in the boat waiting to be woke up. Nothing is missed in Scripture, is it? He wasn't just asleep. I wonder if Jesus was Testing the disciples in that moment to see how soon they'd wake him up. How soon they'd say, Jesus, I need you. We are going to drown without you. I cannot do this in my own ability. Will you do something? Do you even care? The answer is yes. Because immediately he stood up and said, wind and waves, be still. My encouragement for you this morning don't wait. Don't wait till it's too too late. Don't wait until it's all about to finish. Wake Jesus up. Ask him. Say, I'm too, I'm done here. I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. I don't have the I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the skill. I don't have the money. I don't have the I don't have the fight. I don't have this. I don't have that. Good. That's when Jesus is at his most potent. That's when he does his best work, if you want to put it like that. Like it said in scripture, he is at his most potent. Effective when you are the most humble. It's not that he can't before. He's just waiting for you to wake him up. Jesus isn't asleep in heaven. Let's just make that clear. He's not sleeping on the job. But there's this sense that we need to come with great humility, isn't there? Ultimately, when we sang it uh, in communion, actually almost every song we sing is about this, about Jesus stepping into our, greatest weakness which is our humanity our sin the biggest weakness of all is the sin that separates us from him the weakness of our humanity it says all have sinned and fallen short you are fallen short this morning if you don't know Jesus you have fallen short you are at your weakest you can never do enough for salvation but that's the point on your own you cannot achieve right standing with God but God was merciful, like we heard from Anch. His mercies are new every morning. He's merciful. He's gracious. He didn't demand it from you. He demanded it from his son. So he sends Jesus to take your place, to literally bridge the gap, to be the strength that you could never be, to forgive your sin. And then he dies on a cross and rises again on the third day, defeats death and the grave and rises again to give you the gift of salvation. Friend, if that's you this morning and you have never received that gift of salvation, if you've never taken a step and said, I need you, Lord, in my life, I have fallen short. My sin has separated me, my, 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 my wrongdoing, everything, my trespass, everything that's in the way, it, it separates me, God, and I need you now to save me. That's the gospel. There's nothing you can do to achieve that. So Jesus sent his son to do it for you. And he stands in the gap, bridging between sin and righteousness and says, I am the way. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So if that's you this morning, with every eye closed, every head bowed, Christians praying. If you've never made that step, if you've never said, I want to receive Jesus into my, I want to make him Lord of my life. I want to surrender. I want to do the proverbial, wake him up and say, Jesus, I need you Now. that's you this morning I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see it I'm going to count to three and when done that you can pop your hand up if that's you this morning I just want to know who I'm praying for that's you and you've never done that in Jesus name why don't you raise your hand now one two three why don't you put up your hand and say now I want to receive that salvation I want to walk into that light I want to become a Christian I want to make that decision and say in my weakest state I want to be made strong in you If that's you this morning father I pray for every person gathered here, Lord, for every hand lifted, Father, I thank you, Father, that there are people here who need you. Pray that there would be a great uh, uh, a great expansion in their heart, a great re- revealing of who you are, Lord, in every part of their life, Lord, that as they have said, I will, Lord, and I need, Lord, I pray there'd be such a great revelation of that work that what's done in their heart and done in their life would just be sealed, Lord, today by your Spirit. Lord, that there would just be a great awakening in their soul, in their spirit, Lord, to all that you've done for them in Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC. Have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.